Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it out. today. Hey, DC line's hot. Love the hat. Carter, we just caught a red ball out of D.C., all hands on deck, meaning cover the phones. Rose, forward all calls to the briefing room. Covered. Shall we? Thompson, you lead. I'll grind his planes, freeze his bank accounts. There's a girl at First Federal who wants to owe me a favor. Sir, I really must object. Why am I not surprised? I knew how it would start during the war. His help was invaluable. He may be a great many things, but he's not a traitor. We're all aware of your record, Agent. I'm sure being Captain America's liaison brought you into contact with all sorts of interesting people. But the war's over. Let the professionals decide who's worth going after. Sounds like Carter knew a lot of guys during the war. What'd you say, Krasminski? I wasn't talking to you. You are the lady in apology. Oh, you standing up for her now, Susan? Better hurry, I don't have all day. Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> Agent Sousa, about what you just did. Ah, uh, don't worry about it. He's I up. wish you hadn't. You're an agent. They treat you like a secretary. It's one of the. And I'm grateful. I'm also more than capable of handling whatever these adolescents throw at me. Yes, ma'am. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Well, that's another thing we have in common. Carter. I'm going to be a little busy with your friend Stark. If you don't mind, these surveillance reports need to be filed, and you're really so much better at that kind of thing. What kind of thing is that, Agent Thompson? The alphabet? I can teach you. Let's start with words beginning with A. (laughs) Thanks, kid. Okay. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jamie. I'm the Revive Young Adult Minister. And tonight already feels like a party. Do you feel that vibe in the room? 
hello to everyone in the live stream. We're glad you're here, but we wish you were here. <laughs> so thank you for being safe, but also uh, just open invite to come and be in person next time. So that clip is from a show called Agent Carter that was on ABC several years ago and is now delightfully available on Disney+. And it is about Peggy Carter. How many of you remember seeing her in Captain America? Yes, where she made her first appearance and it was so great that they gave her her own entire show. It's multiple seasons long. And Peggy Carter finds herself after World War II in this show, after Captain America has regrettably died, or at least so everyone thinks. He's just frozen on ice for 70 years. Uh, um, but he, he seems to be gone, and now she's finding her way as somebody who was a field agent, and she was out uh, and she was in the, she was on the, wow, battlefield. She was doing battle is what, well, that's all my brain wants to say. She's doing battle. Uh, she's doing the battle thing. She's like out there fighting with Captain America and now they're treating her like a secretary and like she has nothing to contribute, even though she is a full-fledged agent, just like all of the other men in the room. And that really sets the stage for what we're talking about tonight really well, not because we're talking about Captain America, although that would be very fun and not because we're talking about feminism or anything like that, but that would also be really fun for me. Uh, but we're talking about the women who walk with Jesus. The women who walk with Jesus often found themselves in a similar sort of position, being kind of relegated to uh, the corner of women's work or not being seen as full-fledged um, apostles or disciples. Like the disciples were men and then there was all the women. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is how Jesus saw women and how Jesus approached women and how, G uh, and how Jesus welcomed women into the kingdom of God on a full and equal standing with men. And so I'm really excited. I'm doing this tonight as it fits with our Church Hurt, From Church Hurt to Church Hope series that we're doing for Lent. But I'm also going to be right back here at the traditional service, Sunday morning, 9 a.m., right here where the crowd will look very different, but also equally as fun. And then I'll be doing this same sort of message Sunday night. So this is just kind of like a... Um, a fun way to kick this fun weekend off. And so I don't think I'll tell all of the stories the same. There's some that are special just for you, but I'm really excited. Pastor Mike asked me to talk about this this weekend, and I can't wait to just kind of get into it with you. So that's our framing uh, picture frame for what we're entering into tonight. So now for the part where I'm not sure if I will tell anyone other than you, I would like to tell you about an interesting date that I went on one time. <laughs> Got to stand up move. Okay. I don't talk about my dating life very often because like, I don't know, you know, that's just whatever it is. It's over here, it's private. I just like to live my life. But this is just a fun story that um, applies to what we're talking about tonight. So one of my good friends, Alyssa, and one of my good friends, Alex, both were telling me for years after we met when I started here at Hope, they were like, Jamie, you have got to meet this guy. He's really funny. He's really kind. He's really cute. He's like funnier than Jimmy Fallon. And I was like, okay, great. Set it up. I don't care. Like I'll meet anybody. And so it took like years because he was just like very wishy-washy about the whole thing. And I was like, well, if you're wishy-washy about me, I'm wishy-washy about you. Great. So he, um, oh, well, thank you. Uh, that's not queen energy. That's gal energy. Just so you know, <laughs> gals, you need that too. So, 
we finally get this date set up after years, and I, at this point, am very curious. Like, okay, both of these gal pals of mine that know him really well, separately, and they know me really well, are both like, hey, we think you guys should meet. So I'm going into this with low expectations, but also, like, kind of intrigued. And so we go to Americana, downtown on Locust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was nice. Like, there was the whole awkward, like, <laughs> get to know you sort of things, but, like, overall, fine. But let me tell you, as we got dinner and as we got something to drink, he just seemed very reserved and standoffish, which is fine, but it was not the same vibes as what my friends Alyssa and Alex had both told me. And so by the end of the day, I found myself just kind of like scratching my head and being like, okay, something feels off here and I'm not sure what it is. But if you know me, you know, I kind of like to go for things sometimes. And so at the end of the day, I said, how do you feel about women in leadership? Yes. <laughs> and he got real awkward. <laughs> he got really awkward and he turned a little red and he wouldn't look me in the eyes and he said, well, it's not really a hill I'm willing to die on, but I do think your job is unbiblical. Okay. Let's talk about it. So <laughs> I said, well, that's really interesting. Why would you say that my job is unbiblical? And he was like, well, you know, like there's these verses that say that women shouldn't speak in the like assembled body and worship, blah, blah, blah. And I can like feel it, you know. (laughs) But I am just, I'm just leaning in. I'm making eye contact, which he will not return. And, (laughs) and I was just like, man, this is just so interesting. Austin, pull it together. (laughs) And so, um. And so I just said, you know, that's really interesting. And so after he kind of finished his, his speech that he gave to me about the topic, I said, you know, I think that this is really interesting because you are absolutely right. There are those verses in scripture. Like, I'm not going to open a Bible and say that they're not there. Like, these verses are here. But also, isn't it just interesting what my life experience has been where I have never sought out leadership positions? I never thought that I would be doing something on a stage ever in my entire life. I will show you my sweaty pits afterwards after every revive to prove it to you. And, uh, but I just said, you know, there are all these incredible leaders of faith who have been around me my entire life who have said, you need to be... Uh, you need to be applying for these leadership positions and then they would hire me. And I just, I never sought that out. And so I told him all this and I said, isn't it interesting that these people who are um, great leaders of faith would encourage me to lead? And isn't it interesting that we see throughout scripture, these experiences where women were put in leadership positions, even yes, in the Bible. And what does, I wonder, I just, I wonder what that might mean that yes, the Bible says this, but also the Bible shows this. And so we talked back and forth, and he didn't really have much to say about it. Uh, and then at the end, he just kind of looked at me, and I kind of looked at him, and he kind of looked at me, and I kind of looked at him, and he's like, well, <laughs> which is the Midwestern ending, you know? And I said, well, and he paid for the date. He drove from Pella, which could have been a first clue. Um, and uh, so no, <laughs> all... All of the love for Pella. I went to Northwestern College in Orange City. I do know if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. But (laughs) none of this was in my notes. You guys are seriously only getting this version. This is great. He paid and we ended the date. 
And that was it. And I thought, well, well, well. So I couldn't wait to tell my friends and they were aghast. <laughs> they were just so uh, shocked because they had no idea that that was his perspective. And they thought, was it, well, if he already knows that you like work at a church and lead a young adult ministry at a church, why would he even show up? So I don't know. I think he was probably just curious. But I left the date, obviously, with a kind of strange you know, feeling of like, I know that I'm called into leadership positions because people keep asking me and I keep saying yes and I keep loving it. But also, it always feels weird to be told that you can't do something when someone tells you that you can't do something or places a boundary or a limitation, even if you feel in your heart like it is a false limitation or a a human-made limitation, it still, it feels really weird. And women throughout the centuries have felt that sort of thing, but it's not just women. We're not only talking about women tonight, we're also talking about all sorts of people and people groups who have been marginalized. And so we're gonna be looking tonight at what could be, honestly, this could be a whole sermon series. We could spend a whole year, but we're just going to do a night on it um, and see what comes of it. And I'm really excited. So what I want to do is give you some biblical frameworks. So if you ever find yourself in a situation, maybe in a similar one where I was or, or something, that it's not, that you don't just find yourself saying like, well, yeah, I know that my church has women preachers, but you don't know what else to say about that, I would like to give you some pieces that are like handholds for when you're like climbing a rock wall. Like you don't know how you're going to get to the end and you don't know the whole picture, but you at least have like one foothold or handhold along the way to kind of give you some scaffolding to think about it. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to the very beginning of creation, to Genesis chapter one, to the first creation account. Then we talked about this a couple weeks ago and Pastor Richard was here, but I wanted to lay it out for you again. Then God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's from the New Living Translation, which is kind of our hope standard translation that we use around here because it's easily readable. But I also thought I would share the same verses with you from the Message Translation. They're very similar, but a few interesting differences. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image Make them reflecting our nature. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. And so what we see here is there's God using plural language to refer to God's self, which is an indication of the Trinity. Uh, We see the Trinity not necessarily named as such here in Genesis with the word of God being spoken, with the spirit hovering over the waters and God speaking these things. But God says, let us this trinity being one God um, expressed in three persons, saying, let us make human beings in our image. And it takes multiple genders to represent God. It's not just that God is only masculine. God is also feminine. God had to create multiple genders to express himself, but also I'm sure there's much more non-genderedness of God that is encompassed in who God is. But right here from the beginning, we see there's no hierarchy. There's no men is, is male, men are better, women are second. That idea kind of comes from Genesis chapter two, the second creation account, where God takes Adam, he creates human beings one at a time, Adam first, and then he does the whole like, you go to sleep and I'll take a rib and make Eve. And some people have thought that then That means that Eve is somehow secondary, but the word that is used in Hebrew to talk about Eve is that she is Adam's helper, not because she's somehow his servant, but the word helper, Ezer, is used to refer to God as our helper. So there's nothing less than or secondary about God to humanity. And so God is just 
is expressing relationship and community uh, and these incredible relational aspects of who God is as he's beginning the creation of the, of the world. And we use, um, when we do talk about God and use masculine pronouns, we do that because Jesus used masculine pronouns to refer to God the Father. It's a very patriarchal culture and society. But God also does use feminine language to express God's self as well. So we see all of this nuance here in scripture. So moving ahead to some of these like man-made boundaries and boxes that have carried through the Christian faith throughout the centuries, I wanted to pull out this interesting section from Deuteronomy chapter 23. You would have read this very recently if you were doing the readings, if you're caught up with the readings for whole Holy Bible in a year. Side note, I am not caught up with the whole Holy Bible, but I try to be consistent every day and I will get there someday. Um, So if you are falling behind, that's fine. Just keep on trucking. I believe in you because I believe in me and I need to get there. So um, this is not edited. This is just three bullet points, copy paste from scripture. Uh, So this is how Deuteronomy chapter 23 opens. No eunuch is to enter the congregation of God. No illegitimate child is to enter the congregation of God, even to the 10th generation nor any of his children. No Ammonite or Moabite is to enter the congregation of God, even to the 10th generation nor any of his children ever. Like this feels total, it feels final, it feels solid. This is the law or part of the law that God gave to the early, uh, to the, excuse me, early people of faith, the early Hebrews, the, the early Israelites. And is this law good? Yes, it does stand for this time. But I'm going to make a terrible analogy here. And it reminds me of when I was in college, when I was a resident assistant in my dorm, I needed something funny to put on the inside of the bathroom doors for when people are doing their, you know, um, to just sit there and have a nice time while they're doing their business in the bathroom (laughs) stall because I'm nice. And so I found these outdated state laws and printed them and put them on the doors. And so I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. Not calling these outdated laws, not saying that they are silly because they served a purpose for a time. And we're going to talk about how scripture kind of walks back and uh, expresses this a little bit differently. But anyway, okay. So in California, I I have four to share with you. In California, a silly law that still exists is A frog that dies in a frog jumping contest cannot be eaten and must be destroyed as soon as possible. In Iowa, anyone trying to pass off margarine as real butter is guilty of a misdemeanor. I know, I know you all are trying to pass off margarine as butter, but you shall not. In Reno, Nevada, it is illegal to sit or lie down on a public sidewalk the more you know. And my personal favorite, this is one I still remembered from college. In Minnesota, in Minnesota, a person may not cross state lines with a duck on your head. (laughs) (laughs) Who decided to walk across the Minnesota state line with a duck on their head and cause chaos? I don't know, but a rule was written about them. So there are reasons that these laws are instituted. Are some of them silly? Yes, but somebody somewhere did something and this law needed to be, these laws needed to be put into place. And for similar reasons, there are laws that we see all throughout the Old Testament that are for the protection and the betterment and the goodness of God's people. But take a look at this. If you continue to read scripture and not just be biblically literate, like I know this is what the Bible says, but biblically fluent so that you're able to understand nuance and see like what is happening throughout the entire scope and arc of scripture, you'll notice some of these things. So 
It says no eunuch is to enter the congregation of God, but in the book of Acts, God sends Philip to the eunuch on the side of the road. The eunuch on the side of the road has just come from worship in Jerusalem and is heading back to Ethiopia, is reading a scroll that somehow, somewhere he acquired, and he says to Philip, explain this to me. They talk, and Philip ends up baptizing him, and this eunuch is welcomed into the family of God. No illegitimate child is to enter the congregation of God, even to the 10th generation, nor any of his children, but... By earthly standards, Jesus, whose mother was Mary and who was not fathered by Joseph, could be considered by those in his community who knew that something was amiss, that Jesus is born of a virgin and has an earthly stepdad. We see this all throughout the Gospels and all throughout Scripture. And then it says, no Ammonite or Moabite is to enter the congregation of God, but in the book of Ruth, any time that you read Ruth's name, so many times, Ruth the Moabite, or Ruth the Moabitess is attached to her name, not just to remind us where she's from, but because of laws like this, where we see through Ruth's story, being married to Boaz, their whole love story uh, unfolding, and then Ruth being in the genealogy of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Matthew, God is doing something surprising here. For anybody who would know the Old Testament, for anybody who would have memorized this section of Deuteronomy chapter 23, they would know, ding, ding, something is happening here. What is it that God is doing? So now we're gonna fast forward to the New Testament to this tiny little section of Luke chapter eight that's in our readings from this week that maybe you have read so many times or maybe when you read it this last week, you just kind of blazed past it. But we're gonna park here for a little bit. We're gonna park here because Luke is packing a ton into these three verses. So Luke chapter eight starts like this. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from who he had cast out seven demons, seven being the biblical number for wholeness or completion, something being complete. So she is completely overrun with illness, with uh, with demons, like she is, she's completely in a dark, terrible space. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Kusa, I didn't look up the pronunciation, so we'll say Chusa maybe because that sounds fun. Uh, Herod's business manager and Susanna and many others who are contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. This was huge to have women included in the people who are following Jesus. This isn't just male disciples with Jesus. This is women. This is Mary Magdalene of whom many of us know lots of stories or at least we know about Mary Magdalene that she exists. But Joanna being the wife of Herod's business manager means her that she is a woman of very different standing. She has access to things in the Roman Empire that other Jewish disciples of Jesus's would never dream of having access to. And it's kind of thought that maybe Joanna is the reason why we know some insider accounts of what happened at Jesus's trial, what happened when he was flogged, what happened in the inner chambers when he was talking with Pontius Pilate. Joanna helped the disciples to gain access to things. And also she had financial resources that becomes clear that she she contributed to the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Susanna is named, many others who are contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So we have a lot happening here. We have women financially contributing to the ministry of Jesus, which is incredible. Now, 
we could celebrate that, see like, yes, women are on equal standing with all of the men. They're financially contributing, they're disciples, they're doing all of these things. But here's a couple interesting things that feel like it knocks that down a few notches, which when I first realized this, I was kind of mad, but it, it's okay because it does get better. <laughs> this word uh, that is last underlined here from their own resources to support Jesus the word that's used there is diakoneo, it's Greek, and it, the, that's the root of the word deacon. So if you're from a church or um, a religious denomination and tradition where there are deacons, those who are not pastors, but who are ministers of word and service to serve the community in a specialized way, that's where we get this word from. And to be a deacon, or biblically speaking, to verb diakoneo, this is a verb, um, it means to be a servant, an attendant, to serve or to wait upon people, to minister to someone, to minister and to supply food and necessities of life, to take care of the poor and the sick, and to attend to really anything that would serve another person's interests or to serve their needs. And the interesting thing and the annoying thing is that in the Gospels, women and angels are the only ones to diakoneo, with one exception, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But in the temptation of Jesus, when he uh, is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil at the very end, the angels come and diakoneo Jesus. They come and they attend to Jesus. They minister to Jesus. But outside of that, and this one exception that we'll talk about in a little bit, women are the only ones. So we go from being like, yeah, the women are supporting the ministry of Jesus. They're following their disciples. They're contributing from their resources to being like, oh my gosh, but the only, only the women are diakoneoing. It's very disappointing. We're going to come back to this because there's some good news to it. Um, but um, yeah, okay, we're just gonna keep going. Okay, great. So we're gonna come back to Marvel. I love Peggy, I love Marvel Comic Universe. Any other Marvel comic nerds around here? Yes, okay, side note. <laughs> for International Women's Day this past week, um, Marvel released a new four-episode show called M-Power, like M-Power, but Marvel Power, and it's all about the women of the Marvel comic universe, and it is lovely, let me absolutely tell you. It's not just about the characters, but it's about the women who play these fictional characters. Great, highly recommend. Okay, but it has been so fun for me as a Marvel comic nerd to watch all the way from at least the beginning of when the movies came out I, was, I hopped on the bandwagon at that point in time, but I did never have like the actual comics, not that big of a nerd, at least about Marvel. Um, nerding, I nerd about other things. But it has been so powerful for me to see this comic universe expand with these powerful women who are very different from one another, very diverse in all sorts of different ways, but to see their stories being shown, to have some of them get their own movies or their own TV shows has been so exciting to see women being represented in these places where historically, really only men have had these sorts of positions of power or the heroicism attached to them. And, uh, and so similarly, it is so cool to be able to see women in scripture also be heroes. But we so often focus on the male heroes in scripture. So we're gonna flip that just a little bit. And I wanna share with you just briefly, each of these women could have their own night and that would be incredible. But we're just gonna talk through some women in scripture that I wanna make sure that you know about because we're not gonna talk about the big names. We're gonna talk about some of the names that you might not know. And uh, because I was trying to find a biblical graphic of Bible women that kind of felt like this Marvel comic thing. We've got these women up here. I don't know who is who. They're all white 
which is not biblically correct. <laughs> um, but this is the best that I could find on the internet. And so I'm telling you, if you are an artist, let's get some better representation of biblical women in art because the internet does not have a ton that I could find. So that's my, my plea and my pitch. So we're going to dive in. We've got a couple gals from the Old Testament that I want to tell you about. The first gals are, called, are named Shifra, Pua, Jacobed, and Miriam. And they can be found in the book of Exodus. These are the two midwives who Pharaoh told when the beginning of the Exodus story was unfolding. Pharaoh told these two Hebrew midwives, when these baby boys come out, you need to, you need to make sure that they don't live because the Hebrew population is growing and they're going to conquer us and overthrow us. But, he, but uh, Pharaoh is not named. These two Hebrew midwives are named. And so is Jacobed, Moses' mother, and Miriam, Moses' sister. And in their story, they save the baby Moses, who ends up saving the entire nation. Without these four women and their civil disobedience, Moses, who knows where Moses would be? Who knows where Aaron would be? Who knows what would have happened to the rest of the story? So their story is really incredible, and we dare not forget their contribution to the ministry that God has been doing throughout the world. Esther and Ruth, just they have their own books of the Bible. Enough said. They're incredible. You've probably read a lot of their stories. So Esther and Ruth, Obs, is where you can find them. Um, <laughs> Rahab, Deborah, and Jael are some, can I, I, don't, I can't say bad ASS in here, but like these are, if you're going to use a word to describe these women, this is the word that you're going to use. We're just really going off script. I've got a head full of cold medicine, and so we're just going with it. <laughs> um, Rahab was the prostitute who is the one who sheltered the uh, Hebrew spies who were entering into the promised land. And she, because she saved them, they saved her when the city of Jericho fell. Deborah was a female judge in the, the institution of judges that God placed over the Israelite and the Hebrew people before the, the kings came. So Deborah is a judge. Deborah, as a judge, called her um, general, Barak, and said to him, God is going to give us this next battle, so you got to go up against King Sisera, king of something. And Barak's like, that's great, cool, but I'm scared. Can you help? And Deborah's like, of course I will help, but also because you wouldn't just do it like God asked. God is going to give the victory of this battle to a woman. Enter jail. The battle is going terribly. The king of Sisera runs off the battlefield, leaves his men to die, and he runs by the tent of Jael, who's the wife of Heber the Kenite. And, and Jael is like, oh, sir, you look tired. Come into my tent. And so she gives him milk, and he falls asleep, which is a terrible choice because she takes a tent peg and drives it through his temple and kills him. <laughs> so, so God does give... <laughs> the victory to a woman, but Deborah has no idea. Jael certainly didn't know about this prophecy. Can, I, can you see why I think that these women are badass? They are. <laughs> Don't tell Pastor Mike. So, <laughs> so then Hagar, if you've been around Revive for a while, you know I love her story, but essentially she was a woman from Egypt. She was with Abraham and Sarah. They misused her um, terribly in their family, and she ran away because she was essentially kicked out, but God still saw her as this foreign woman who wasn't even included in the family of God, and she's the first person to name God in all of scripture. She's a foreign outsider young adult woman who, like, quote-unquote, means nothing as a slave from Egypt. Her story is incredible. Jehoshaphat and Abigail are incredible. Just because of time, I'm going to let you read Jehoshaphat 
this story on your own, but Abigail is one of my absolute favorites. I was a super Bible nerd. I loved reading the Bible as a kid and like comparing the genealogies to see how they were different. Who does that? I did that. This is what I did in my free time. Like I told you, I'm a nerd, maybe not a Marvel nerd, but nerd in other areas. This is what I did. And so Abigail's story I love. One of the things I thought was cool as a weird little teenager was to see who in the Bible was described as attractive <laughs> because somehow I thought that that was interesting to me. So I like had this list of the men in the Bible who were attractive and the women who in the, in the Bible who were attractive. Abigail is not just beautiful, she is very beautiful, just so you know. And, <laughs> and her husband, Nabal, was a total bad guy and through a long story short, he did something that was terrible, which was on brand for him. And David, King David, was on the warpath and was going to come kill Nabal. Abigail got smart. She realized that her husband was being a dingus and she needed to save her family from being killed by David. And so she loaded up donkeys with food and goods and treats and snacks. And she rode out to meet David. And she was like, my husband won't feed you, but I will. And he was like, wow, this woman is quite a catch. And uh, when her husband like had a heart attack and died, he married her because he was like, I need to keep this woman around because she's a peacemaker. She kept me from uh, creating more havoc and war. And then Huldah the prophetess, we don't know a ton about her, but there's a tiny little story about Huldah the prophetess in the Old Testament in 2 Kings and Chronicles where there were other prophets at the time prophesying Jeremiah and Zephaniah, whose names you might recognize as having their own book in the Old Testament as a minor prophet. They're prophesying at this time, but the priests and um, the scribes at this time needed a word from the Lord. Uh, they needed some direction, and so they went to Huldah, and she gave it to them, and it was a good word, and they obeyed it, and things happened the way that she said. So those are some Old Testament gals. I'm going way over time, but I'm just, I don't care, so I'm going to keep going. Um, some New Testament gals, Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna are in the Gospel of Luke. Without the Gospel of Luke, we would not know Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the wife of Zachariah. She's the mother of John the Baptist. You can't find her story anywhere else. So Luke makes sure that, makes sure that she's included. There are things about Mary that we only know from the Gospel of Luke. Anna, the prophetess who prophesied over the baby Jesus in the temple um, when he went to go um, on day eight, do the day eight things, like she was there. Without Luke, we don't know about them. Without Luke, we don't know about the text that we're looking at tonight with Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna and the other women. Luke wanted to make sure that they were included because uh, he did. Then moving on past the Gospels, Priscilla and Aquila are super cool. They are in Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy. They were really, really good friends of the Apostle Paul. They um, were tent makers and they did ministry alongside Paul for years. They were so wise that they actually taught Apollos, who was another um, like apostle of the time who knew scriptures and was preaching about Jesus. And the Excuse me, interesting thing about Priscilla is that four out of the six times that their names are named together, Priscilla and Aquila, as a married couple, her name comes first. And it's thought that maybe that's because she maybe had more zeal or more passion. Or also, Aquila was often the name of male slaves, and her name could be that of nobility. So maybe this noble woman marries a freed slave, and that's why her name comes first, because she has more social standing. But anyway, the early church would have not happened in the same way that 
that it did without Priscilla and without Aquila's ministry. Junia, the apostle, and Nympha are incredible. Nympha hosted the um, one of the churches in Colossians in her home. We're not sure if that means that she was a pastor of this church or if it was just host, just hosted in her home. Like she had an early church in her home at a time when persecution was happening. Junia, we have to talk about Junia. Okay, I have to stand up for this. Junia's name so often throughout history in the translations of New Testament has gone from Junia, a feminine name, to Junius, a male name, because she is described as an apostle and how could a woman be an apostle? So they changed her name to a masculine name until some more people continued to do translating work. God bless our translators. And they said, no, no, we can't erase this woman's name and erase her gender. She is a woman, and so she is Junia. Um, and so Junia is an apostle, and Paul talks about her in Romans uh, 16. Lydia was one of the first converts to Christianity in Paul's ministry. She was a woman of great social standing in her culture. She dyed um, products. Why, what are these called? Clothes. <laughs> Cold medicine. <laughs> she dyed the products, the clothing products purple, which means that she had a lot of money because that's like that's the royal color, and so she's like funneling her products to the royal families and things like that. So Lydia was a really great gal. And Eunice was Timothy's mother. When Paul met Timothy, Timothy knew the scriptures so well that Paul apprenticed Timothy, and then Timothy started an early church and was a pastor. And it says in scripture that Paul did that because Timothy had been raised so well. So this is a huge nod to his mom, Eunice, who's thanked later. So we have all of these incredible women in scripture whose stories need to be shared because without them, we are operating at a deficit in our understanding of the kingdom of God, of the ministry of Jesus, and what God is doing in the world. But also not to um, only focus on women. We are also going to share about some men. So I think, yes, dudes. Um, there are also these men who are included in the story of what God is doing in the world that quote unquote should not have been included. Matthew was a tax collector and a sellout to the Roman Empire. No one would have liked Matthew. He's a traitor. The magi that came to visit Jesus in, um, when he was very young were Gentiles and quote unquote pagans, but they worshiped Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee and a murderer of early Christians. He persecuted Christians uh, for their faith. Moses was a Hebrew in the Egyptian context and was a murderer. Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses because he'd killed an Egyptian and he ran away. The eunuch, oh, that says eunuch. Oh, dang it. Um, <laughs> the eunuch, we've already talked about him. He came to worship in Jerusalem. And then David, uh, King David, this pillar of the Old Testament, the greatest king that the Israelites had ever seen was initially like passed over for the for kingship because he was just the youngest. Like he wasn't the strong man that any of his older brothers were when Samuel was coming to anoint a king. It was David that was ended, that was chosen um, because God told Samuel, pick David. So there's all of these people all throughout scripture that are not supposed to be included who are included. And so Paul writes to the early church in, in Galatia, he says, he's like redefining what the kingdom of God looks like. He's talking about a new church and a new way of doing things as the early church was trying to figure out what to do after Jesus had lived and died and ascended into heaven. And he writes, in Christ's family, which that's them, but that's also you and me, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all 
in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant. You know, heirs according to the covenant promise. If you had been a part of the family of God at any point, you knew that Abraham was the man through whom God decided to start this family. God told Abraham, your descendants will outnumber the stars, your descendants will outnumber the sands on the seashore, and that was God's family. Paul is saying, all of you, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, you're all in. You're all in. So that brings us back to the word diakoneo. Remember the word that only women did in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus calls the disciples together and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. The word that I underlined here, to serve others, guess what word it is? Diakoneo. Jesus is the exception. Jesus diakoneos everyone and asks all of us to do the same. So this isn't a gendered Word. Jesus is fulfilling this command to love, to serve, to attend to, to minister to other people. And it's not a gendered thing. Jesus is bringing this whole new explanation to, um, to light. And so as we begin to wrap up, I want you to take a look at some parts of Mary Magdalene's story. And I want you to, I invite you to see yourself in Mary Magdalene's story. You know, she, we know from this selection of text in Luke that she had seven demons in her. Um, there's an earlier scene in The Chosen. We're going to watch something from The Chosen. There's an earlier scene where you kind of get to see like um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a representation of what it might have looked like for her to be possessed. But this is what happens when she meets Jesus. She's not even going by her name Mary. She's going by the name Lilith. But Jesus saw her and is completely redrawing the lines for who's in and who's out. Take a look. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm saying. Mary. 
Magdala. Says the Lord who created you, and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You. happens when people meet Jesus. This is what happens when the world has said, here's a box, here's how you fit in it. Here's who's in, here's who's out. Here's some laws that say that you don't belong or that we shouldn't associate with you or you're somehow bad because of where you're from or who you are. And so I invite you to consider two things. The first one, when have you felt, maybe like Peggy Carter, maybe like me on a date, maybe like Mary Magdalene, maybe like a dude who in scripture should have been considered on the outs, but Jesus welcomed in. When have you felt underestimated or put in a box or marginalized or shut out? And if that's something that you have experienced in your life, particularly because of a church, I wanna say I'm sorry, and that is not the heart of God. That is not the heart of Jesus Christ for you. And so you are welcome in God's family. You are welcome here. You are welcome in this family. But even more so than that, you are welcome in the kingdom of God. Jesus is redrawing the lines of what a kingdom looks like. And with him on the throne, everything is set right as it should be. So I invite you to consider what that has felt like because we can have empathy for those who might find themselves in a similar position. And if you haven't ever felt yourself in this what would it look like for you to put yourself in the position of somebody who might have felt underestimated or put in a box or marginalized or shut out? And the second question that I invite you to consider tonight is this. When have you participated in underestimating somebody, a person or a people group? When have you marginalized somebody? When have you kind of like, want to just separate, keep them over there, keep you over here, draw a line? When have you shut somebody out or put somebody in a box? This could be a person or a people group because Jesus might wanna shake those things up for you a little bit. Jesus might want you to consider expanding your view of who's in and who's out in church, in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, in our communities, and what it looks like to be a church that lives on mission, like our mission statement here at Hope, which is to, if you know it, say it with me, reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It's really hard to share love when you put people in a box. And so as we just have a minute of prayer, I invite you to hold these two questions up. When have you felt marginalized? When have you marginalized someone else? And just offer those to God with no judgment, 
with no feeling of, oh, I need to feel one certain way about it. Just offer it up to God. Have a conversation with God in the quietness of your mind, of your heart, of your spirit, and see what God, excuse me, might want to say to you about it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love that is unconditional. You don't see the boxes that we put ourselves in or that we put others in. Or rather, you do see them and you just want to break them. You want to break them wide open. God, I ask that you would bring comfort, that you would bring peace, that you would bring the knowledge that you see us, that you see our hearts, and that you say yes to us. That you want to tear down any of the things that we feel like keep us from you or the things that we feel like have kept you from us. God, I ask that you'd bring your spirit close to us. Not because you're far away, but just because sometimes we have a hard time in the busyness or in the distractions or the things we got caught up in. And God, where we have somebody in mind of a person or a people group, where we have marginalized, where we have shut out, where we have ostracized, where we have kind of put somewhere over here, God, would you reorient our hearts to be more like you? Would you show us how you see the people that we have in mind? Would you give us what good boundaries look like? Would you give us what a healthy relationship and community looks like? So often we put up walls between us and other people because we have walls in ourselves. So God, would you speak to us about those? Would you help us to do business with you in a way tonight that helps us to be more free, that helps us to be more loving, that helps us to live more on mission like Jesus? God, would you continue to infuse in us your DNA of in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, that all are one in you. Infuse us with your heart, God. We love you. We ask that you'd give us an increase in kindness, that you'd give us an increase in openness, and having eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. God, would you make us more like you? Because when we are more like you, we are better, our communities are better, our churches are better, our workplaces are better, our teams are better. God, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.